0: In this life, I have learned that certain things need to be done in a certain way where there is a major potential for disaster. Building a house is one of those things. Many years ago, I decided that I needed to man up a little bit, so I decided to try to work construction for. A summer. Now, my dad is not a handy individual. He taught me how to open books and read them and then close books and learn in that way. Did not teach me how to do things with my hands, but I decided, you know, I should, I should try to work. And so I, so I worked with this gentleman, uh, a local gentleman there who offered me a job only to find out that we were building a house. I thought we were going to be doing some little remodels in the thing. Only to find out that we were going to be building a house. And I found out that this guy had never built a house either. So he knew about as much as I did about building the house. It was quite an interesting house, to say the least. So we were building this house, and we got to the point where we were putting up our our the trusses, and we we put up the trusses, and we attached the trusses, and you know those things that hold the the roof up, probably most of you do, but I didn't know if you had told me a few years ago. But you put up the trusses, and we put up the trusses, and then we went home for the day. And the next day, my buddy Scott and I got there early. Uh, Scott and I, uh, we were early in college, and, and we were who we were, and so we didn't always go to bed. And so we'd drive to the work site sometimes at four in the morning and just sleep in the back of his van for a couple hours and then start working at about six in the morning. This was when early in college. And so we drove there and we got there and it was maybe 5, 5.30 or so in the morning and uh, we were gonna try to sleep for an, a half hour, maybe an hour if people were a little bit late. And I was pretty tired and it was kind of dark and, but I noticed that something looked a little bit off on the house. And I noticed that there were some things laying around the house that probably weren't supposed to be there. And I realized That the trusses had broken. Now, I didn't exactly understand everything about what happened, but between the four letter words of my boss when he arrived there, I realized that he had forgot to provide the proper joists or to hold them in place in case there was a storm overnight, and there just happened to be a storm overnight. You need to do things in the proper way, the proper order, or else things can go terribly bad. There are many things in life that must be done in the correct way. I've learned that you loosen the lug nuts on a car before you jack it up. I did not know this until I was on the side of a freeway in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've learned you read directions before putting together furniture from Ikea. <laughs> I learned this again just uh, a few weeks ago. If you go into my office, and please don't everyone have a tour of my office after this, but just take my word for it. I've been working on some bookshelves, and one of the bookshelves strangely has some brown that's not supposed to be there, facing the wrong direction, to which I learned once again, it's probably best to read the directions. You don't touch the charger, the battery charger ends together when the other car is running. This is not always a smart idea. Don't try to kiss your wife before saying sorry, thinking that that will somehow make up for it. Things done in the wrong way, in the wrong order, can lead to... uh, horrific consequences at time. And it is no different, it is no different when it comes to salvation. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Zechariah. It's a little book in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 3. If you know where Haggai is, it's just after Haggai. But you all can find Matthew, right? So go to Matthew and then turn back two books, Malachi and then Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. And I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. We have New International Bibles in the pews in front of you, and that's fine. Or you can, of course, use your tablets or your smartphones, whatever it may be. Things done in the wrong way, in the wrong order, just don't work out very well. Zechariah chapter 3. We see, I believe, a beautiful, clear teaching about the step-by-step process of salvation and how we are to relate to this. How we are to relate to this. Verse one, then he showed me, this is Zechariah in a vision, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Joshua in this vision, Joshua in this vision is representing Israel and all her sins, And in many ways, he's representing all of us. He's a representation on behalf of all of us. The Bible says... All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. That means you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. We are all represented here by the sinfulness that is covering Joshua. But to be broken by our sinfulness, to really stand in that humble state before the throne of God, Joshua is where each one of us need to be. Joshua is standing there before God, before the Lord, uh, before his throne, humbly, humbly. But there with him to make things worse is Satan. It says Satan is standing at his right hand. And the name Satan means the accuser. So we know why Satan is there. Satan is there to accuse Joshua. Imagine having to go apologize to someone or to say sorry to someone or to ask forgiveness of someone. And you have your worst enemies right there with you. And before you can even get a word out, this person starts to say all the things that you've done wrong. You know how we are as humans, when we've done something wrong, we try to soften it up at the beginning when we're going to apologize. You know, there's something I needed to tell you, and uh, this was an accident, and I really, you know how we try to do before we actually say the, the horrible thing that we may or may not have done. And then we, then we then, but there before Joshua can even get out a word, the Bible tells us that Satan is at his right hand to accuse him. In the Bible... The right hand is a symbol of authority. It is a symbol of authority. The sins of Israel have given Satan, the sins of Israel have given given Satan a right to have authority in this situation. Our sins, when we sin, when we choose to to walk towards sin and to walk away from God, our sins give Satan a right to have some sort of authority in our lives. And Satan is here accusing Satan Joshua, he's accusing uh, the people of Israel. He accuses us. And I would have to admit, and you would probably have to admit as well, Satan's accusations are not untrue. When he says they are sinners, we'd have to say that's true. When he'd say they deserve punishment, we would have to say that's true. When he says they are not deserving of your love, we would have to say that is true. All these things, Satan says, are in fact true. But I want you to notice what happens here in Zechariah chapter 3. While Satan is accusing Joshua, and Joshua is simply standing there. In verse 2, the Bible says, and then the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Too many of us Here's the thing, folks, when Satan is attacking us, when Satan is condemning us, when Satan is going after us, too many of us try to defend ourselves rather than allowing the Lord to be our defender. Satan stands there and accuses us, and we try to fight back in our own flesh, and our own power, and in our own strength, we try to fight him back. Y'all, this is a battle that we will always lose if we try to overcome the accusations of Satan or try to to debate him in some way. I think I'm a pretty good debater. I've I've always found myself to be a fairly good arguer, even when I'm arguing for things that make no sense. I found a way to help people to just finally give up. I have that gift in me. I wanted to be a lawyer before I became a pastor. I think I might have done pretty good at it. But I have that gift, but, but I'm sure that in a debate with, this, with Satan, and I've, I've found in my life that when I try to argue against Satan, or when I try to, to fight back against Satan on my own power, I always lose. I always lose. Especially when the deck is stacked against me and the accusations are True. Satan is accusing, he is saying, this man, this woman, she deserves to die. He demands, Sin demands justice, he says. Sin is demanding their lives. All of this is taking place. But, but there in verse two, the Bible tells us that the Lord said to Satan, no, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Satan is there at the right hand to accuse us. What he says is true. We are guilty, Satan says they must be punished. But then Jesus steps up in our defense and says, no, stand down, Satan. I rebuke you, I rebuke you. I love this picture that that Joshua at this point says absolutely nothing. He's simply standing there. He's not spoken one word. Satan is accusing him. And who speaks up on our behalf? Not us, not Joshua in this moment, but the Lord speaks up. The Lord Rebuke you. And why does the Lord do this? The Bible tells us the Lord rebuke you. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this not a brand plucked from the fire? Yes, he or she has sinned. Yes, he or she deserves punishment. But the yes of Satan is no match for the no of mercy. And the Lord rebukes Satan. And does and why does he do this? He does this, the Bible says, because the Lord has chosen Israel. The Lord has chosen you and the Lord has chosen me. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter your struggles. It doesn't matter your education or your lack of education. It doesn't matter your money or your lack of money. It doesn't matter the sins of your past or even the current sins of your present. The Bible tells us that the Lord chooses Israel. Each one of us. He has a desire and a plan for each and every one of us, no matter who we are. The Bible says to us, it not only says the Lord has chosen Israel, it says the Lord has chosen Chad, the Lord has chosen Julie, the Lord has chosen Mary and David and Gideon, and the Lord has chosen Mark, the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. And I rebuke you is what the Bible says. And brothers and sisters, we are all chosen. The Bible says the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's all of us. We have all been chosen. And just like that, Satan is silenced. When we allowed the Lord to fight on our behalf, rather than us trying to defend ourselves, Satan is silenced. Satan is silenced. What we see here, folks, is a little picture of justification. That God is the one who fights and wars on our behalf. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ went to the cross and died on our behalf. While we were still sinners, he went to the cross. The Bible says that that all are justified in Christ through the gift of the cross. We were all made right with God to be in good standing with God. Look at this. Look at what the text says. The Bible says, now Joshua was clothed, in verse 3, now Joshua is clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. Notice that Joshua is still standing there in all his filth, and yet, and yet, the Lord has spoken up on his behalf. The Lord has spoken up on his behalf. Again, folks, too many of us say, thank you, Lord, for defending me against Satan. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for forgiving my sins. But now I have to go and clean myself up. And then when I'm better, I'll come back to you and we'll work things out. But Zechariah 3 shows us that that's not how it works. The Lord's silence says Satan. And now we don't hear any more from Satan. We're still there in all of our filth, in all of our dirtiness, in all of our sin, and God doesn't say to us, now, now go figure it out. Go straighten things out. Go, go work on things for yourself. The Bible says, and Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. The Hebrew there for filthy is the word excrement. I won't explain that to you. I'm sure you know what it means. But we're standing there in all of our filth. But we no longer hear the, the accuser and now we take a, a moment to risk, to look toward the throne, and we see eyes. And the eyes we see are not eyes full of condemnation. The eyes that we see are not eyes full of, of rebuke or, or anger or wrath. The eyes we see are eyes full of love, eyes full of, eyes full of tears, eyes full of grace. The voice we hear is the voice like, like many waters, the most soothing voice we ever he- have heard. And he speaks to us. The Lord is is asking us a question. It's the same question that he asked the woman who was caught in adultery, who the people wanted to to, to stone. Where are those that condemn you? Where are those that condemn you? And we look around and we see that Satan is no longer there to attack and to accuse us. And the Lord says, neither do I condemn you. And then that voice, that voice of of grace and that voice of love and those eyes of love, they they look around and they see the angels there. They see those standing around. Verses 3 and 4. Now Joshua is clothed with his filthy garments and standing before the angel. he He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. I have taken your iniquity away from you. And we'll clothe you with festal robes. Remove the filthy garments. Remove the garments that are covered in the excrement. Remove the garments of sin. And cover them with new robes. Now some of us enjoy the idea of justification. We enjoy this idea of, of knowing that at the cross our sins were paid for. But when it comes to sanctification, we get a little more touchy. Because sanctification can be a little bit more challenging. We have to have all of, maybe some of those things that we've chosen in life removed and pulled away. But but the Bible tells us here in in Zechariah 3 that, that God wants to to strip us naked of all those things, to take away all of the junk in our lives, to get rid of it completely and fully. Some of us at this point begin to back away. I'm not quite sure I'm ready to let you have that, God. I'm not quite sure I'm ready to let you deal with that just yet. Or maybe you should let me deal with that on my own for a little bit longer, and then, and then we'll get back to you. Justification is nice, and sanctification has hard, but, but really being completely washed, it is hard, but, but we must, we cannot let any of the excrement on us or remain in our lives or it will corrupt everything else now I've never had clothes covered in excrement well that's not true I have three sons so I have had some clothes (laughs) covered in some things but but I remember one time when my wife was in grad school and I was she was in Tennessee during the week and I was in uh, Georgia and I was doing my laundry on my own more regularly and, and it'd be one of those things where I would forget to do my laundry for a long stretch of time Then all of a sudden I'd have to throw it in to the wash real quick and then put it in the dryer and I couldn't always let it dry completely. Well, you know that, that smell that sometimes get there if you don't let clothes dry completely? You guys know that kind of musty, stanky nastiness? You know what I'm talking about? So I remember one time I got up one morning, I was getting dressed and I was putting on some clothes and I was putting on an undershirt and then I was putting on my shirt over top of it. I just felt like there's something that smells a little amiss. And I thought, oh, it's no big deal. I'm not gonna worry about it. Shirt's fine, it'll go away. You know, I'll put on some deodorant, some cologne. I'll be fine. Go on my way. Well, I go to the office, and I'm working at the office. I was pastoring in Georgia at the time. I'm sitting there in my office and, and working on some things, and I begin to get this smell. You know, the day's gone along. It's getting close to lunchtime, I mean, and I begin to get this this, this this smell, and I look around me. No one else is in the, in the office, and I mean, in my little office area, I was, is this me? Do I stink? Do I remember to put on deodorant? So I quickly, like, you, you know, pull back my shirt and lift up my arm. Yeah, I got deodorant on, and... um. You know, I'm, I'm wondering, what's, what stinks? You know, I'm, I'm wearing flip-flops. Do my, do my feet stink? I used to always go to, you know, I've become more refined since I've been here. I used to always go to church in and, uh, and flip-flops. And so I, I was smelling my feet. Do my, do my feet stink? You know, I'm smelling my jeans. What is this odor? I smell my upper lip, you know. Maybe it's my upper lip that smell my breath. What is this odor that's smelling? And then I remember, oh, when I was getting dressed this morning, I, sm- I smelled something. I smelled something. And I smell my outer shirt, the collar of my outer shirt. I'm like, I think that's it. So I quickly jump up because, I mean, this odor is getting getting rough on me, you know. And it's getting worse by the moment. Then the more I think about it, the more grossed out I'm getting. So I take off my outer shirt and I, like, toss it into a corner. I toss it into a corner. I sit back down in my chair. But now the smell is even worse. <laughs> what is going on? Is it the wind? Do I need to let the wind in the room settle down? Was that throwing it across the room, stir everything up? What is this smell? And then I decided to smell my undershirt. I pull up my undershirt. I took a whiff of it. My eyes rolled back in my head. And immediately, just my instinct, out of instinct, this stank on me. I tear off my... My, my, outer, my undershirt, and I throw it on the, under the corner too. And now I'm so glad that my secretary at the time didn't walk in right at that moment because it's been awfully awkward to have, and you're doing what? But I was standing there with shirtless, but I had to get rid of that because it stunk. It reeked up everything. What's the point of the story? A musty, stinky shirt, that undershirt, had infiltrated the top shirt And not only the top shirt, it had infiltrated all the surrounding air. And if I didn't get rid of it, everything was going to continue to stink. Folks, if we allow those things to just kind of stay and linger there in our lives and remain in our lives, and we won't let the Lord take those away from us, even what is good will eventually become corrupt the voice says remove the filthy rags we at this point could say no lord i'm not going to let you take that out of my life but folks that is not the smart thing to do we want god to remove those things from your from our lives to make us clean to make us whole to make us fresh to make us new because just as it may not seem like a big deal like when i first put on that shirt it may not seem like a big deal to have that little thing in your life for a moment eventually It'll become something that will eat away until you just are disgusted by it. Until it infiltrates everything and you are disgusted by it. He says, remove the filthy rags. Again, he said to him, see, I've taken away your iniquity from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. It's an important question. What has Joshua done or said up to this point in time? Nothing. Nothing. Has he spoken even one word? No. Has he, has he made the movement? Lord, I'll take care of my own clothes. Has he, has he done that? I'll make my own fresh fresh suit. Has he done anything? Has he done anything to deserve grace? Has he done any sort of, made any sort of statement or gone out and done any sort of action that would make us think, oh yes, he's deserving of this work that God is doing. He's done absolutely nothing. What he's done He's allowed the Lord to give him mercy, unmerited favor. He has simply surrendered and allowed the Lord to do this great work on his behalf. Folks, when we are standing before the throne of the universe, we will not have any work that we can do for ourselves. We must rely on the Lord Jesus Christ to be the one to justify us and sanctify us and clean us up. We have no argument. We have no defense. We have no work we can do for ourselves except for the willingness to stand there and allow to do the work that only he and he alone can do. Several years ago, many, many years ago, when Christine and I were engaged, we went down to Orlando, Florida to visit some friends. And it was a Saturday night and we went out Saturday night to a, to a, to a restaurant and then we went to a movie. Shh, don't tell anyone. Um, and uh, we went out to this restaurant, we went out to this movie, and by the time we got done with the movie, it was close to midnight. We were kind of tired, and we we're going back to uh, our friend's house, where, our friend's house, where we were staying. And we come out, and I'm pulling out of this, this place there in Orlando, Florida. And there's this cinder block wall right here, and I'm sitting there, and I look straight ahead, and I see this sign that says, "No left turn." I see this no left turn sign. I'm sitting there, it's almost midnight. I don't see, there's barely any cars out. And I look, and all the way down, like 50 feet is a stoplight in which I could do a U-turn. But I'm like, why would I drive that extra 50 feet? I can go right here. I can make a left turn right here. So I was faced with a quandary. No left turn, have to drive an extra 50 feet, then 100 feet because I have to come back this way. What would I do? I did what any responsible, law-abiding citizen would do. I looked for cops. (laughs) And when I didn't see any, I did what any good, law-abiding citizen would do. I turned left with the no left turn sign. And as I began to pull out to make this left turn, I am in the middle of my left turn, and I... I am just beyond this cinder block wall, only about this thick. And as I'm coming out and I'm looking, I see that just a matter of feet, a few feet away from me on the other side of this wall, there is an Orlando PD sitting right there. <laughs> and as I'm making my turn, before the turn is even completed, I say to Christina, Christina, I am going to get pulled over. She asked me, why? I said, because I just made an illegal left turn. How do you know? I said, because there was a sign in front of me that said, no left turn. (laughs) Then why did you turn? (laughs) I'm not understanding her line of question because I needed to turn left, and that's like 50 feet down. She said, but but said no left turn and there's a cop right there. I said, yes, but I didn't see the cop. <laughs> By the time the conversation had ended, the police had followed us adequately long enough. This is all a completely 100% true story. You can ask Christina. She goes to first service, so you may have to come to first service, but you can ask her. So the police pulls us over and now I go into a similar conversation with him. He comes up to the window I roll down my window, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? I say, yes, because I made a left turn when there was a no left turn sign. And he asked me the question, why did you do that? I've always found, I've had enough experience, unfortunately, with police officers that I found that it's good to be honest. So when he asked me, why did you do that? I said, because I didn't see you. Absolutely 100% true story. He kind of did what you just did there, although not with such gusto. Just a little like, oh, you child. Well, I was hoping that my honesty, I was hoping that my honesty would maybe let him, he would say, son, you know, it's a legal left turn, but it's almost midnight. There's really no cars out. You know, do better next time. Let's think about this, you know, and I'd say, okay. But no, he said to me, Son, may I have your license, registration, and proof of insurance, please? Now, this is not what I wanted to hear from him. So I gave him my license, and then I gave him my insurance, and I handed him my registration with the caveat. And I decided, again, to be honest, I said, officer, my mom hasn't yet sent me uh, my new registration tags yet, at which point I hear laughing coming from the passenger seat, which really stirred me up inside. I was calm until this point. And the officer walks away, and I turned to Christina. I said, this is not the time to laugh. And she said, I just find it amusing that a 25-year-old man just told a police officer, my mommy hasn't given me my registration yet. (laughs) I said, for your information, I didn't say mommy. I said my mom hasn't given me my registration yet police officer leaves, he goes back to his car, you know, sits in his car, he's doing his thing, and we're sitting there in absolute silence, turn the radio off, and I'm just sitting there waiting, dark, lonely parking lot there. She's been laughing at me, I'm a little irritated, and I decided I'm going to break the silence. I said, Christina, I'm in trouble. She said, why? I said, well, I made an illegal left turn. She's like, yeah, but, you know, you need a ticket. I said, and my registration has expired. She's like, yeah, but he seemed to understand, you know, when you told him that. So, well, my insurance expired three months ago. <laughs> and my mom hasn't sent me that either. <laughs> She's silent, silent for a second more. And then I say, and my license has expired as well. At this point, I am sure that Christina is thinking, do I really want to marry this man? And she did, but before you judge her, remember, you all hired me to be your senior pastor too. So. So, so thou shalt not judge, lest you be judged. Christina didn't have much to say at that point, obviously. And we sat there in more silence, Then the police officer came back to the window, and he handed me the insurance, and he asked me, He said to me, your dad probably hasn't sent you the insurance yet, right? (laughs) It's not my dad who handles those things, but I wasn't about to get in an argument with him. So I said, yeah, it's my dad. He said to me, "Uh, when are you headed back to Tennessee? I said, tomorrow. And he said, you need to get your license renewed. I said, yes, sir, I know. And he said, you might want to get that fixed. I said, I will. Then he did something. He hands me my papers, and he said, Have a good evening and a safe trip home. Absolutely true story. Illegal after turn, expired tax, expired insurance, expired license. Have a good evening and have a safe trip home. Now looking back on it, I'm convinced that the Lord knew that I was going to need to share a sermon one day with this illustration in it. (laughs) To make the point that I was like Joshua, that I was like all of us undeserving of grace, and yet I received it in full. I received it in full. Joshua has done nothing to deserve the grace that the Lord is giving him. We have done nothing to deserve the grace that the Lord is giving to us, but he gives it to us in full. He silences Satan. He removes our sin and our shame, and he clothes us in righteousness. He gives us the keys to eternity. Why does he do this? It's not because I'm good or because you're good or because we've impressed him somehow. It's because he is a God that has an infinite amount of love for each and every one of us. And all he is waiting on is for us to stand there and be willing to let him do the work that he and he alone can do. The work of justifying us and sanctifying us. And one day soon we pray the work of glorifying us into his kingdom. Then the Lord said, verse 5, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the turban is just further symbol of the complete holiness. The, the, the priest on the turban, there was a plaque that said, Holiness unto the Lord. Holy unto the Lord. And then the angel says to Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and if you will perform my service then you will also govern my house and I also have charge of my courts and I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. There was nothing that had been done. There was nothing that had been done by us to receive salvation but the Lord is saying, now saying to us, I have done all this for you. I have poured out all this love and this mercy on you. Now won't you follow me? Now won't you follow me don't go back to the world don't go back to the excrement don't go back to the musty stanky shirt walk with me live like me live with me forever not by your power remember it's the same thing you've been doing here you allow me to work through you God says this is an invitation to wholeness this isn't an invitation to rules this isn't an invitation to work is it, a, it is an invitation to wholeness. The invitation the Lord gives to each one of us. We all have the accuser at our side. We all are guilty. We all are deserving of the punishment. But the Lord has chosen you. The Lord has chosen each and every one of you. And he has a special mission for you. He has a special purpose for you. The things that have been destroying, been eating at you, been, been, been ruining your life. He says, Let me take that. Let me remove it from you. The book is stacked against us. The deck is stacked against us. He says, I've taken care of it all. Now go. Drive safely and sin no more. We pull out your connection cars today. They are on the back. If you want to respond to today's sermon, maybe some of you don't have this relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been fighting Jesus. Satan's been accusing you and attacking you, and you've been fighting that in your life. Then I would encourage you in that right-hand box up there at the top on the back side, I'm interested in beginning a relationship with Jesus. Maybe some of you have been resisting. God's been appealing to your heart to make a decision for him, to make a public declaration of your faithfulness and your love for him. If you'd like information on baptism or then check that box. But my response specifically to today's sermon, I will submit to the work and power of Jesus to be justified, sanctified, and glorified. I will submit. That's me, I'm submitting to Jesus to do this work on my behalf. In response to the power and work of Jesus on my behalf, it is my desire to live my life through his power fully devoted to him. Is that your desire this morning? Is that your desire this afternoon? To say, Lord, because of all that you have done and because I am powerless against Satan, because I have made an illegal left turn, I have allowed my registration to expire, I have allowed my insurance to expire, I have allowed my driver's license to expire, I should be thrown in jail and have my car impounded, and yet you have washed me new and made me clean. So because of all this, Jesus, I want to drive the rest of the way with you through your power and your grace and your mercy. If that's your desire, then I want to encourage you to check that box. At the end of the service, you can turn them in at the back door or at the welcome center. Let us pray right now with one another. Jesus, we thank you for the grace that you give to each one of us. I pray that we will know truly that it is your work that justifies us and that sanctifies us. Lord, may we leave this place with willing hearts and a desire to live in every way for you. And may we allow you to do the work in us to make that possible. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.